Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm Helen. And I'm Sarah. And we are your hosts. We are here every week talking about all things careers, giving you some ideas for action, some tools to try out to help you take a little bit more control of your career development and have a bit of confidence in doing it too. Squiggly careers are always full of ups and downs and we want to be your support behind the scenes to help you. And today we're going to talk about how to be a good manager. You might not be a manager, but maybe you can pick up some tips that you could talk to your manager about. (laughs) Imagine that, Imagine if everyone listening just goes to their manager and says, I think you should listen to this. I mean, yeah. that would be feedback, wouldn't it? Yeah, maybe think about how you might approach that conversation. <laughs> but maybe you do want to be a manager in the future, or there might be some other ideas for action that you could think about what you could take away and put into your teams. But I think one of the things that Sarah and I recognize is that our careers are so dependent on the people that we work for. And anything that we can do to create environments where managers can be at their best helps us to be at our best too. So I do think it is definitely worth listening to this if you are a manager, but also it helps us to have a bit more understanding of how we might be able to help managers too if you are not a manager yet so one of the scary stats and I think it is a scary stat I think that's how it should be branded particularly if you are a manager when you hear this stat I just remember always thinking it puts even more pressure on you're already probably feeling quite pressured but most research does say that roughly around 70% of the variance in employee engagement so sort of how much people are enjoying the work that they do depends directly on the person they are working for. I can hear the discomfort in your voice when you say that quote and that stat. Well, partly, you know, that stat is a little bit old now, but I still think I have read quite a lot of stuff more recently that reinforces that that is probably true, roughly, as in managers do have a really big impact on our day-to-day, how we feel, how successful we are in our squiggly careers. They are really important people. So on one hand, I think if you're listening to this as a manager almost the sense of like pride and accountability that you should feel because you have the opportunity to have such a positive impact on people and I have loads of managers and we've had some of them on the podcast who have managed brilliantly and had a you know they've been the best thing about my day so I think you have that chance as well to be even maybe if you're not loving your job or maybe you're thinking I'm not sure this is 100% right for me and I've had that loads of times I've thought oh well it's worth sticking around because I'm really enjoying working for this person and I'm learning loads from them. But I think it probably is also true. You know, when people say, you know, you join an organization, but you leave a boss. And I'm yeah. like, 
Do you think that's true? Have you have you had that experience, Helen? Uh, yeah, Sarah says it, knowing like basically knowing the ins and outs of my career for the last twenty years. Yes, Sarah, you may be surprised to know that I have once left an organisation because of a manager. But yeah, I've been in that, and we were also having a bit of a conversation behind the scenes of like oh gosh, what if somebody ever left our team or our organisation because of us as a manager? And I sort of wanted to move on from that point because I'm a bit scared of the answer. I hope it's not true. Well, between us though, we've managed probably quite a lot of people, you know, in terms of the Mm. different teams that we've both managed. And I guess inevitably, at some point, you weren't at your best or perhaps you didn't build the relationship you wanted to with someone. Though I had now got, it did give me like nightmares of like, are we going to get some sort of like squiggly expose of like someone comes out and writes, you know, like, oh, they recorded this podcast about how to be a good manager. Let me tell you what it was like to work for oh, Helen. no, don't say that. Or well, work for Sarah, but I thought I'd use your name instead because I was like, oh my God, that would literally keep me awake expose. at night. Yeah. <laughs> Great, can't, can't wait to read that in yeah. whatever publication really wants to print it. But then equally, was we were preparing for today, I don't think I always got all the things that we're going to talk about right and I still don't think I get them right so I think this idea of you've got to let go I think as a manager of going I'm going to be able to do all of this really well all of the time because I think that's almost an impossible task I think what you can do is first of all know about these areas and care and also do your best for your team and I think fundamentally if that's your attitude and your mindset as a manager is I want to be a brilliant manager I want to be the best I can be and I want to keep improving and keep learning I think that mindset I think I'm just hoping basically now I hope that that mindset that I had helped me even when I perhaps wasn't you know doing some of the things that we're going to talk about today like absolutely excellently like day in day out (laughs) I think as well there are a few things that do make it even harder like to be a good manager right now Mm. means that managers are having to motivate people and help them navigate through a squiggly career so everyone's developing in different directions and that looks different in terms of the conversations people want to have with their manager and I think that creates a bit of career complexity for them in terms of how they support people there aren't these tip box templates that we could just say oh just do this and you'll be fine like they have to take a coaching approach and they have to find the time and develop a skill that they might not have yet they've also got like hybrid working context so not only are people developing in different directions they're working in different ways in different places and no one quite knows what's going that's going to look like it's like we're constantly changing how we are working because of what's happened in the environment over the last couple of years and then on top of that they've got all the demands of their day-to-day and I think that's just hard we're saying go be a good manager in the context of all this stuff that's happening at the same time and so I think we want to give in this podcast some really simple but significant ideas for action the last thing we want to do is overcomplicate your days with 101 things you need to do differently and so we wanted to kind of take this idea of management in the context of squiggly careers and everything that's going on and share some really clear specific ideas for action that are very implementable And so what we've got is five ways of almost describing what being a good manager looks and feels like. So these are things that I suppose this is the job to be done. This is what we're aspiring and aiming for. So I'm going to describe those five pretty quickly. And then we have tried to think about what ideas for action. So just three ideas for action to keep it really simple. Could you take that we think will help you do at least one or more of these capabilities that we're going to describe? 
So here are the five. And perhaps as I go through the five, think about which one of these do you already do well? Because let's not beat ourselves up as managers. You will already do, I'm sure, at least one or two of these really well, probably while you're doing the job that you're doing. And what would your one even better if be? So which is the one area of the five that you think you've either neglected or it's just not your natural strength, or perhaps you've just not prioritized it or thought about it until now? So here are the five areas, and we've taken these from some research that Gallup have done. One, motivate people to take action. Two, drive outcomes and overcome adversity. Three, create a culture of accountability. Four, build relationships based on trust. Five, make decisions based on what's best for the business. I think then when you go through that list, you're like, no wonder it's hard. I know. I'm like, that sounds like some like uber amazing manager. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, okay, I've got to motivate everyone to take action, overcome adversity, accountability. I'm just trying to get through the day. I know. And even as we were writing these, I was thinking they are such big topics and areas in their own right. I think we've done a podcast, almost like a whole entire podcast, often on things like building brilliant relationships, high trust teams, accountability, you know, motivation. These are all, like, even though we've listed them quite quickly, like one to five, I think we don't want to lose sight of these are really big things to do well. They're experts and, in every area on this yeah. as well. It's <laughs> making me think maybe in addition to this podcast, I should do some kind of squiggly career compendium of like the people <laughs> that we've talked to. I think you, yeah. you know that that is now a thing. The people that we've talked to that could actually have a like a further conversation on each of those five areas. Yeah, absolutely. So Helen, when you're thinking about those five, which is the one that you'd pick as like, you're like, that's the one I feel good about. That's me, me at my best as a manager. And which is your one even better if? Gulp, our team are going to be listening to this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Vivi, who creates all of our pod sheets, which actually, if you don't know about the pod sheets, there's a summary of the podcast that you can listen to and it will help you reflect on some things we've talked about. But she'll be listening to this and thinking, mm, you're not very good at that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I would say, though I should probably get some feedback, that the thing that I do well of those five areas is driving outcomes and overcoming adversity, particularly if I think about the last sort of six months and some of the things we've had to achieve. And in the context of some of the challenges along the way, I think that has been a strength in my management style. But I think my even better if would be creating a culture of accountability. I think a lot of the time I just assume it's going to get done. And if it doesn't, I've moved on to the next thing before you've reflected on why. I don't think that that's what creating a culture of accountability is really all about. Yeah, I think mine would be slightly different. I think I'm good as a manager at building relationships based on trust. So I think it often comes down a little bit as well to your natural coaching style and approach. You know, you're a bit more of a thinker or doer because I think I was listening to you and I was like, well, as a doer, you're really good at driving outcomes. So that's probably your natural make it happen-ness that you have. And I'm more of a thinker. And so I probably dive a bit deeper with people and get to know people well. And I think I have high trust relationships where certainly I hope people have felt like they've been able to talk to me about things, whether things feel hard or difficult or if they've got stuck. And I can think of examples. So I was trying to back this up with a bit of evidence. I was thinking for the teams that I have led in organisations, if I think about the kinds of the range of conversations I've had with people, I think it at least suggests that I've built some relationships based on trust. So I felt good about that one. My even better if I was partly was like the one that you're good at. So I was like, that's helpful because Helen's good at that. <laughs> Driving outcomes and overcoming adversity. I think I'm, I can be gritty at times almost individually, but I'm not sure I'm always as good at driving outcomes. Like 
with and for other people because this is about managers this is not about managing yourself it's about managing other people and I don't think I'm always as clear about how do I help other people drive outcomes and I'm sort of almost going my own little world I'm like I'm good at drive. I'm good at driving my own outcomes and overcoming adversity but that is different to helping other people to do the same thing and I'm like I think that's a different thing so I, I when I read that one I was like oh initially I thought I was really good and I was like actually no this is not this is not about me <laughs> so you kind of need to let go of like this is about your ability to help other people to do this thing so I was like definitely that one and I agree with you I think the culture of accountability one is hard I think that is a generally that is a hard one and it's why so many of the people that we talk to and managers that I talk to they will often talk about this idea of accountability like how do I help someone be accountable how do we all be accountable but also don't want to overwork people how do you help people prioritize I think there's like accountability area is a really is a really interesting one and not one where I think anyone's like I've ever talked to gone oh, I've completely cracked it everyone has 100% accountability and it feels like that all of the time I even the word culture as soon as you put culture before a word you know it's going to be hard to do I always think yeah well let's go there first then we've got three ideas for action and let's go with one that's going to help with the accountability but also with some of the other areas about like the driving outcomes and the helping people take action as well so we wanted to have these quite simple things that you could do that could have quite a big benefit so the first idea for action is all around aligning the contributor so the person doing the work with the contribution so the work that needs to get done so I guess the thing to reflect on here is that it's very easy for a manager to sort of set the objectives and then assign that to people to deliver upon them but what happens there is people might not be bought into what they might need to do they're not particularly connected to it because they've not come up with the what needs to be done or the way it needs to be done. And so you might not have somebody who's really committed to that contribution. Whereas when you can create a better sense of connection between the person doing the job, the contributor, and the work to be done, the contribution, you can actually find ways to increase the accountability. So when you think about contribution, that could show up in a few different ways. That could be, like we use OKRs in our organization. Other people might use like, you know, objectives or key performance indicators. However, that is described in your organization. The first thing to think about is, is that contributor first? If it was, it would look like that individual in your team going away, thinking about what they should deliver this year, what the objectives should be, how it could be measured, and then coming with that information to you to talk about rather than you saying this is the job to be done go away and do it and let's see how you deliver upon it so you want to think about who is starting that conversation who is pulling that first draft together ideally that should be the person who's going to be doing the delivery because then they will feel more connected and committed to what they're going to be delivering I guess it links to some of the work that Dan Cable has done at London Business School around you have a different level of engagement with your job if you've come up with your own job title and I know lots of us can't can't come up with our own job title and that might not feel realistic but I think it's interesting because if your jobs to be done and your objectives come from your manager which I think typically they often still do it still feels very command and control it's sort of someone else is more in control of your job than you are if you really step back from it and that feels quite uncomfortable then but I think it's just the way that lots of us work whereas actually if you sort of said well you know, you've got clear roles and responsibilities, you're in control of 
like what you think that should deliver and how you might do that. I don't think it then goes from, I was thinking initially, oh, are we talking here about going from top down to bottom up? But I think the problem with that is that just reinforces hierarchy. Yeah, I agree. Whereas actually, if you think, well, it is much more about who starts. I think the person starts is really important. So it's the person starting, not managers. And then it's much more about something that you collaborate on and that you co-create because of course this is a conversation I can't imagine someone being able to do this and it not needing some ideas and who wouldn't want some input from their manager that's that's part of your role as a manager so I think if it can feel co-created or collaborated on and also it can feel like um something that is like a live thing that you're going to keep coming back to because I think that's often one of the other challenges with this idea of writing down whether it's OKRs, which is objectives and key results, or whether it's key performance indicators, whatever it is that you use. So often we get stuck in that they get set at the start of the year and you maybe review them quarterly if you're lucky versus does that become something that you look at as part of your monthly one-to-ones or even your fortnightly one-to-ones? Do we keep referring back to it? Is it a helpful point to kind of think, oh, well, something has changed and therefore my objectives need to change? And so it feels like a really accurate representation for an individual on what are they spending their time on the actions that they're taking what they are accountable for and if things change that changes too and I think that is a really hard thing to get right but if you do you get accountability actions and outcomes which is three of the different areas that we talked about and I don't know whether this feels relatable to everybody else but I was thinking about it for us Helen and I was like so often it feels hard to make the time to do this really well and we've definitely experienced that Mm. you're so busy doing the day job as it is now this requires everyone to sort of slow down and pause for thought you know we sometimes talk about you've got to um slow down to speed up this to me feels like a classic example of that is like if you don't sort of set your stall out in the right way then you are always going to be trying to catch up and then if you don't take the time as you go through the year to keep coming back to this again it then becomes less and less useful as you go through a year. I have a few thoughts, Sarah, on things that you've just said. I have a few thoughts on time and questions and other things that people could do, all triggered by what you just said there. On the time point, I agree, just like tactically, I'm finding it quite useful to think about like transition time at the moment. So to fit these conversations in with people, I'm sort of looking at my diary of when I have another meeting that's much more to do with the day-to-day of work and I'm trying to like find the time around it. So I'm already with that person, perhaps in person. So for example, I was at a book launch with someone in our team last week, Vivi, or I have had other times when I've been in person with someone else. And I thought that is a great moment to like have a conversation about someone's development. So I've sort of, I've transitioned the time, I suppose. I've looked around where I'm already meeting someone and thought that's a great moment to add this in. So I don't know if that will help anybody. The other thing I was thinking about was in the, when you talked then about regularly reflecting on the objectives that someone has set sort of for themselves. Again, I think the questions that you ask someone are really important to reinforce accountability at that point. Mm. So it's not, this is how I think you're performing, Sarah. It's much more, how do you think it's going? What do you think is working well? So we don't want to shift from giving someone accountability over defining <laughs> taking their it all role. Away. Yeah, taking it away. You kind of want to stay in that accountable mode, which means you are asking them for their opinions and their perspectives. It doesn't mean that yours isn't valuable, but it's again, it's that person first. And the only other thing that I was prompted when you were talking was 
as well as designing your own deliverables, which is what we're saying here with these objectives, I think regularly, and when I say regularly, like maybe once a year, asking someone whether what it would look like if they redesigned their role description and so because our job descriptions change all the time like the job that someone applies for is very unlikely to reflect the day-to-day of what someone is doing and if someone said to me oh Helen like when I was you know working in marketing at Microsoft after a year if you were going to redesign your job description based on the work that you're actually doing and you think the work that you could be doing to create value for the business what would that look like and then I might not have it exactly right but just that feeling of accountability to define the job that needs to be done not just the things that need to be delivered but the broader job I think that would give me a much greater connection to the role at a bigger level than just what I was delivering on a monthly or quarterly basis and I think one of the challenges that I imagine might be running through quite a few managers minds right now is there can be instances or examples of a mismatch in expectations. So you're my manager, so I was sort of following this through and someone's listened to this and they've I've come up with my own what I think my objectives and my key results are. And I come and talk to you as as my manager and you think, oh wow, I'd got quite a different perspective. I've got quite a different starting point on what I thought that should look like and what I think Sarah needs to do to support our business. And I was thinking then that will feel hard. That those conversations will feel hard. But I think what's useful about this is when those mismatch of expectations don't get talked about Mm. or are below the surface, I think that creates much more challenge than when at least they're transparent. Because if they're transparent, we can both openly acknowledge that, we can take actions together, we can figure out what that might mean. doesn't mean something's going to happen overnight, but we can feel like we are together having conversations to figure out, or does that mean actually I'm in the wrong role? That might be quite a big realisation and it might not be something we can fix overnight, but you've actually had that conversation together, which builds trust, one of our other five, versus I wonder whether sometimes that is there, that sort of nervousness is almost there of like, well, someone wants to do one thing and a manager thinks someone should be doing something different. But because these conversations don't happen, maybe that's why someone might leave and a manager might not understand. Mm. You know, like I then leave, I think, well... I want to do something different to what Helen wants me to do, but we've not talked about it in the way that we've described today. So I am going to leave Helen as my manager because I want to go and work in this other area. And you might be left feeling a bit bemused, like, oh, but I thought Sarah was enjoying her thing and she seemed to be delivering what she needed to do. So I think that's being really realistic. I have felt that before, and I'm sure other people have felt that before, where you feel like those things, you think one thing and your manager thinks another. And I think this opens up what might be an uncomfortable conversation but I would still hypothesize or argue better to have talked about it than to not. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So idea for action number two is say what people don't see which sounds really counterintuitive. And probably what people are more familiar with is that phrase, you can't be what you can't see, which is essentially the importance of role modelling as a manager. And when I think back to the brilliant managers that I've had, this is what they were all really good at. They role modelled the behaviours that then they wanted to encourage and support across their team. And because you saw it and felt it and heard it, day to day as part of your experience of being in that team and being managed by that person you were then more likely to do it yourself but also the relationship you built with that person was very different and the reason we describe this as say what people don't see is if you want to build really strong relationships I think sometimes you have to identify those stories or examples or situations which are outside of the day-to-day that wouldn't come up normally as part of doing your job But by sharing those examples, you build an extra level almost of incremental trust. So just to give you a few examples, because Helen and I were thinking about what this might sound like. So we were thinking, and to be honest, you have to be confident in yourself as a manager to do this because none of these are good news stories. Um, It's like being proactively vulnerable, this, isn't it? It It's like, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable in order to help you to feel safe is the premise. So it could be failures. People love a failure. Honestly, when we share failures in workshops, people lap it up. We share good news and people are like, yeah, yeah, on to the next thing. (laughs) And there's sometimes there's still that perception of people in positions of power. And as a manager, you are in some sort of position of power usually. Or maybe they don't fail that much or perhaps they're more perfect than me. And no one is really. Everyone's always got loads of examples of failure. And there's failure at lots of different scales. Mm. Maybe it's about asking for help. So A, your team hearing you ask for help and that could sound like I'd appreciate your point of view I've not done this before what would your perspective be I'm feeling a bit stuck wondered if we could spend 15 minutes because I know you're really good at problem solving or it could be you sharing examples of where you've asked for help in your career and found that really useful so almost like bringing your support system to life for people and then our last one and there's lots more but we just thought these were particularly useful is sharing the gremlins that get in your way So everybody has beliefs that hold us back, these confidence gremlins that can kind of loom larger than life and we've all got to figure out ways to cage them so they don't sort of get in our way during our squiggly careers. And I think people hearing from you that you have still got confidence gremlins, the ones that you've had but perhaps you have managed to cage so people feel reassured that it is possible, I think can just feel really reassuring for people. I think that's how you make people feel like, oh, okay, so... They're not perfect. They have failed. They do need help too. They have gremlins just like the rest of us. And I think the key here is to pick your moments. 
So to figure out how could you share these stories, what might those look like, what might be those useful moments. And sometimes it could be in a one-to-one conversation when you can perhaps see someone struggling with one of these things. Sometimes it might be bigger team meetings or sometimes it could just be slightly more in an ad hoc anecdotal way. I don't think these have to be like big jazz hands TED talk let me tell you about my leadership would you like my powerpoint presentation on failure (laughs) yeah yeah I don't I mean to be fair most people probably still be quite interested I don't think they have to be that but I think equally if you want to create that sense of vulnerability and shared trust almost the opposite of our first idea for action where you go it needs to start with people in the team I think this has got to start with you as a manager I think it is I think it is unfair to ask people to do this if sort of you haven't shown that you're going to do this first. And I don't think everybody has to do this at the same time either. You know, I think you could just be like, as part of a team meeting, you might want to share something about a confidence gremlin that's got in your way and how that's been tricky for you over the last month or so and some things that might have helped you along the way or someone who might have helped you along the way. So Helen, can you think of any examples when you've done any, so we've gone for failure, asking for help or gremlins that get in your way? Yeah, I'll do two with failure. One that I'm really sorry because I'm going to bring up the Clapham Junction meltdown uh, moment. I feel like I does a podcast that go by mel- when I don't talk about that? meltdown has had so much content time. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's had so much. But the reason that I, I see it as a failure, one of my failures, is I see it as a failure as a friend. And so... Uh, basically, in that moment, I basically I missed the moment to support Sarah with something that she was going through. And I, I feel learned- now, if people are listening to us for the first time, they're like, "What is the Clapham Junction meltdown?" We should know what episode that is because we refer yeah, to we it, it all the time. So much. So Wasn't we'll- it reflections on twenty twenty one? Probably or something like that. It was. Yeah, like I that. think it was. Yeah. Yeah, uh, one of that <laughs> episode. But yeah, my my failure was I didn't support my friend in the way that they needed to be supported, and I learned a lot from that. But also, I think kind of you know sort of forgiving yourself for it as well is quite important I learned a lot about how to support better but also to forgive myself I guess a different one that maybe more people could relate to that I have done as a manager was where I shared with my team some feedback I'd had that was quite hard for me to receive and I shared it with my team so that they knew what I was working on for my development and so that they could recognize that actually we've all got stuff that we need to work on and even when it might look like you're quite successful on the surface it doesn't mean that you're you're working by behind the scenes on the areas that you need to develop on too. And so I was just trying to talk to them about the importance of getting feedback, even when it feels uncomfortable and talking about my experience with that, I hope create them a safer space to do it too. Yeah, I always used to share with people, certainly in the bigger teams that I used to lead, that I'd find conflict hard and it was a really annoying gremlin that would get in my way because <laughs> uh, I did find it annoying and also it's quite good to laugh at them quite good to laugh at those gremlins it makes them I think it diminishes them a bit which is good but I would also say you know I find it really hard when people disagree with me I often feel like they don't like me and you know I get into all sorts of thought spirals and what's so interesting about me sharing that gremlin is I assumed most people had an inkling about that anyway and that they'd maybe seen that in action Most people are surprised because we get very good at putting a front or a kind of wall between us and these gremlins, or we really feel them. So we imagine everybody feels them as much as we do. I remember lots of people saying, oh, well, I've seen you disagree really positively, or you're good in those meetings. And also it helped me to think, oh, okay, well, I am okay at this some of the time, but equally I'm fine behind what they don't know is what's going on inside my head at that time, which is panic, panic, don't talk pressure and 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 so no one can see that stuff so that's the whole thing about like what people can't see it can be really helpful I recently was doing a program where um 
part of the program in the final session we had together everybody did a short presentation for three minutes on why should anyone be led by you so these were all managers and I was one of my reflections to the group who were absolutely brilliant and told some incredible stories and were so vulnerable was just make sure that I'm not the only one who's going to hear this because often they were sharing stories or examples in reflection you know to answer that question that I just think that would be so powerful because I came away from listening to that thinking I'd want to work for every single one of those people because they'd show me vulnerability they would often talked about help or failure as well as some really good stuff too so I think just think about what are those examples for you when might you share them what might that look like so that not everybody's perception of in your team of kind of who you are and what you do is just based on what is visible day in day out mm. like sort of like embracing your imperfections and sharing the stories that bring them to life for people it's part of it so the third idea for action is all about showing your working and this is to do with the importance of the decision making point that sarah raised when you talk through those five sort of characteristics of good managers from gallup one of them was about making sure people understand your decision making and that, that those decisions are seen as being sort of better for the business not just what's best for you and there'll be lots of decisions that you need to make as a manager about what work gets done and how it gets done and who does it. All, all those things will be part of your day-to-day making those decisions. And sometimes we're making so many of them so quickly that we don't take time to show our working. Like what what are some of the insights that have gone into those decisions that we're making? And when there is a lack of clarity, sometimes people can make assumptions about what might be going on behind the decisions that you're making. And that can affect the trust that Sarah talked about, uh, but it can also affect people's buy-in. If they don't understand why we're doing it in a certain way or what we're doing, then they might not have that commitment that you need for them to sort of continue to continue with that work. So it's really useful for your team to understand your working. And one of the things that can help there is the anchors that you make your decisions around. So, for example, in our business, Amazing If, one of our values is usefulness. So we want everything that we do to be useful. The way that we're working, what we put out into the world, the podcast, for example, useful is a really big anchor for us. And we always use it as a filter for our decisions. Now, the team now know that. They know how much we prioritise usefulness. So we don't actually have to explain every single decision that we make because they know that usefulness is such an important anchor for them that they can understand why we're making certain decisions. So don't feel like, you know, all those decisions that you make, you need to send an email and say, this is why I did it this way. This is why I did it this way. Actually think about the anchors that are informing your decisions and make sure the team understands those so that broadly they get why you are deciding to do some of the things that you're deciding to do. But then you might want to take a slightly different and more specific approach to some of the decisions that might feel like a potential surprise. So something that someone might not have seen coming or particularly emotional. And those decisions tend to be about people. So let's say you're bringing someone new into the team, for example, tend to be about pay. So if there's any changes around pay that can affect things or structure like roles and responsibilities, they tend to be quite emotive decisions. And for those ones, you might might not want to just rely on the anchors. So my assumption that, well, people are just going to know that I'm being useful and that this is a useful thing for me to do. That one might be one where you want to discuss the decision in a bit more detail and just talk through how you've got to that outcome. 
And I think you can also encourage people across your team to do the same thing. So the expectation on showing you're working doesn't just need to be you. I think people definitely need to see you, again, role modelling this, but encouraging other people to do the same thing. If we want people to take accountability, as we've talked about, people need to be accountable for their own decisions but accountable, you know, for, for what and to what. And again, I think when I'm thinking about um, like our team or the teams that I've led before, if you've got these almost agreed anchors, then when people are talking to you and you're their manager, they might say, well, I would recommend we should do option A. And this, these are the two reasons why. And you would expect those two reasons to have some sort of link to those anchors. Or again, as a manager, you'd expect to not be surprised by those. And also it sort of supports everybody to just be more accountable. And I think it develops trust as well. When I think about brilliant people who've worked for me, they were really good at this. They were really good at taking accountability for decisions they thought should happen. And even if it perhaps wasn't quite within their remit, they'd say to me, this is what I think we should do and this is why. And it was so clearly explicit and articulated that then as a manager, you're then very on that person's side and you'll really support them and if at all possible, you'll kind of go, brilliant, well, you take accountability for that and you don't need me. I'm I'm glad you've shown me you're working because it's created confidence and trust. But the more you do that, because everybody listening who's a manager will also have a manager, because let's face it, we all, we all have a manager <laughs> as well. I found when I wanted more space and autonomy and accountability from managers, if I showed my workings perhaps a bit more than I might normally do, you then in return, I think, get more freedom. And you get more space because people increase their their trust in you because they think, oh, well, Sarah's not just doing that because she wants to increase her personal profile or because she wants to get promoted. It's because she believes it's the right thing to do. And she's putting the business, you know, the business and the team objectives first. And so therefore, I feel like I've got that confidence in what she's doing and why she's doing it. So let's now just summarise those three ideas for actions to help you to be a good manager. So the first one was to align the contributor with the contribution. The second idea for action was to say what they don't see. And the third idea for action is to show your working. And all those different sort of tips and techniques that we've talked through there will all be in the pod sheet as well. So if you've listened and you want to put this stuff into action, then download the pod sheet. It will be in the description for the show notes. It's also on our website. So if you go to amazingif.com and the podcast page, you'll see it all there as well. And you can download it. You can use it. It's all there to support you. And I did, just before we finish, want to say uh, thank you so much to everybody who has bought You Coach You since it came out at the start of the year. If you have had chance to read some of it or all of it, we would always love your feedback and you can message us on LinkedIn or Instagram. And if you feel like you can and you can spare us five minutes, a review on Amazon is always very much appreciated because it helps us to share the book with more people and also gives people who are thinking about potentially reading it a really good understanding of whether it's right for them. And so some Amazon reviews would be very much welcome from us if anyone does have a spare five minutes this week. So until next week's episode, everybody, we will leave it here. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina. 